Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, here we go. It is the day after pod, a little reaction. The day after Super Bowl 55, the day after the end of the NFL season, which by the way, a lot of people didn't even think we'd get to the beginning of the NFL season. Yet here we are, what, six months later or so, seven months later, Every single game played, regular and postseason. I know we had some hiccups here with the league. I mean, we had a team in the Denver Broncos that played without a quarterback, essentially. You know, you had some games moved around. The Bills had to have their schedule shuffled a little bit. COVID uh, really kind of impacted every team on a different level, but it happened. They played the entire season, and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are your Super Bowl 55 world champions. And to be quite honest with you, I don't care. I mean, like, I don't love it at all, believe me, uh, especially because of Brady. I get it, you know, supposed to be rooting against Brady and never want him to win another thing in his life. And that's pretty much true for me. But I kind of hate watched the game, to be honest with you. I didn't really care who won because I didn't want either team to win. And it wasn't like I was openly rooting for Kansas City and I wasn't openly rooting for Tampa Bay. So either way, to be honest with you, for the whole week, all I kept thinking about was let's just get this game over with and let's get on with the 2021 offseason and season. So here we are. Let's do that. I'm ready to put this thing in the rearview mirror, but not before we touch on a couple of items related to the Buffalo Bills and, um, you know, just the Super Bowl in general, I guess. So thanks for listening here. It's been a great week last week doing these podcasts on the state of the bills. And that's what I'm going to do here in a little while, get to the offensive line. The one I did not get to last week as far as a podcast, but that article is up. If you want to go check out the 2021 state of the bills, offensive line article, you can do that. WGR 550.com. Uh, that's along with quarterback running back, tight end wide receiver. And then this week I'll be posting articles on the defense and supplementing them with this podcast as well. If you haven't subscribed to the podcast, I appreciate it. Sal sports and stuff. Uh, check it out, iTunes, and of course, WGR on our website, but just type it in, Sal Sports and Stuff on Google, you'll find it. If you have a smartphone, go to your podcast app uh, and do it that way. So I appreciate everybody who's come along and all the uh, cool stuff people have said about listening to the podcast this week, trying to keep it you know, 25, 30 minutes, each one of them in length to make it a lot easier on everybody to listen to. So hopefully we can do that here. might be a few minutes longer because I do want to go over a few things other than the state of the Bills offensive line. And let's start with the Super Bowl. And let's start with the Bills, because I'm a bit annoyed, I guess, to be quite honest with you, over the last, what, since the game ended, 12 hours since I'm recording this. And it, But this is kind of an extension of the last couple of weeks. And basically, I've been reading a lot 
people tweeting me at Sal Sports or just writing in general, a, a really, to me, quite a bit of an overreaction to people and their perception of how far away the Bills are from either the Chiefs going back to two weeks ago or the Buccaneers after the Super Bowl. For example, what I mean is people basically writing, oh my God, the Bills are so far away. Look at this gap. It's so huge. Let's stop for a, a moment. Okay, and, this, and, and I'm going to get into some specifics here too, especially when it comes to things I've read about. Oh my God, Leslie Frazier, he's so awful. Just, can we just slow down for a minute? Let's pump the brakes. Let me just remind everybody of a couple of things first of all, okay? The Buffalo Bills went 13-3 and this season. 13-3. and The only three games they lost were a rescheduled COVID game at the Tennessee Titans, a good team when the Bills were missing some players, a rescheduled COVID game at home to the Kansas City Chiefs who won the AFC, who were the defending Super Bowl champions, and a incredible play by the Arizona Cardinals that uh, Hail Mary at the end by an incredible player. That's it. Then they go to the AFC Championship game and lose. Oh yeah, did you hear what I just said? They went to the AFC Championship game. The Bills are the second best. They were, and they are, the second best team in the entire conference. They are arguably the third or fourth worst, or best team, fourth at worst, best team in the entire NFL. That's it. The gap between them and the Kansas City Chiefs two weeks ago was not nearly as much as what it may have seemed on the field. And the, just like the gap between the Chiefs and the Bucks was not nearly as much as what we saw on the field in Tampa. Matchups matter. Every game is different. Every game flows differently. I've said this for so long. Every game has its own DNA. Always remember that. Every game has its own DNA. You cannot apply the, well, this team won by 20, and then they but they lost to 20 by the, another team. So therefore, you know, team A beat team B by 20, B beats C by 20. Therefore, A must be 40 points better than C. That's not how it works. Come on now. If you're a sports fan, you should know this by now. The Raiders beat the Chiefs and then almost beat them in their second game. It just was happened to be a matchup issue for them, right? The Bills, it wasn't a good matchup for them against the Chiefs this year. But the overall point here is, the gap between the Bills and the Chiefs or the Bills and the Bucks, between the Bills and the two best teams in the league, essentially, is not that wide. And when I read people tell me, oh, my God, this is just such a talent gap, there is not that much of a talent gap. And coaching-wise, look, the Bills did not play a good game against the Chiefs. That much is true. They also did not coach a very good game against the Chiefs. That much is true. But stop with this Leslie Frazier needs to go. He's horrible. He put together a horrible game plan. Uh, Matt Milano couldn't cover Travis Kelsey. He stinks. Get him off the team. My gosh, we need to dial it back just a little bit. Leslie Frazier is a very good defensive coordinator. I also want to remind everybody, it's not Leslie Frazier's defense that's being run in Buffalo. It's Sean McDermott's. He is very much involved in the game planning on a weekly basis, but Leslie calls the plays, defensive plays, on Sunday. They are very good together. They've been very good together. Just because they had a poor game or they have a poor game here or there or they started out poorly this year and then, you know, some things happen, there's always things that happen, does not mean that these people are suddenly bad at their jobs. They aren't. The Bills have, they have to get a few things differently. They have to do some things differently. They have to add some parts to their team. They have to tweak some things. This is why we're doing the state of the Bills. This is why I'm talking about this stuff all week. I think what you saw 
in Tampa was exactly kind of the difference in what the Bills need. First of all, against Kansas City, it's speed, 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 right? We all talked about the need for speed, and the Bills do need that speed. And like I've said, they need more guys like guys with the ball in their hands. Get it to them off the line of scrimmage. Let them go. Get it to them in the backfield. Let them go. That kind of speed more than just the top end speed, you know, taking the top off the defense as a wide receiver. But I think what we all also realized, and what the Bills knew, was watching that game against the Kansas, against the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, the Kansas City Chiefs, when you can pressure them with four people, it changes the game. And the Bills just couldn't do that very well. That's a really big issue, I think, for the Bills going into the offseason, is trying to find a way to pressure the opposing team with their front four. I don't know how you're going to be able to find a guy like that. They just don't fall from trees. Now, Brandon Bean made a huge move in the offseason last year to trade for Stefan Diggs. We know that. Is there a move like that out there that he can make for a really a great pass rusher that a down-to-down basis, you have to really worry about him if you're on the other side? I mean, Frank Clark, he did a great job for the Kansas City Chiefs since he's been there. That's the kind of player you need. Um, you know, they didn't win the game. They didn't beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but we saw what they can do on their end. And then, of course, on the other side, Jason Pierre-Paul, that entire front seven, they're very good, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but they had pressure. They got pressure, and that's how they beat the Kansas City Chiefs, and I think that's where you could say, okay, there's a gap that exists because of that particular matchup and how you have to beat that team. But overall, the Bills' defense, you know, they helped them win 13 games this year, but against the Kansas City Chiefs and that type of offense and schematically and philosophically, it wasn't a very good matchup, and the Bills couldn't put much pressure on. So. It goes back to, you know, are you trying to just catch Kansas City? Are you trying to just get better overall? And Brandon Bean says, hey, we have to worry about our own division first, which I agree with. You got to win the division. You got to make sure that you're on the right track doing it that way before you could even worry about Kansas City. But there's not this unbelievable gap. The Bills not only went 13-3 and this year, they did it with the toughest schedule of any playoff team in the NFL. Did you realize that? The Bills had the toughest schedule as far as um, strength of schedule overall than any playoff team in the entire league. In fact, it was the only playoff team, the Bills were, that had a strength of schedule over 500 of any playoff team this year. Pretty incredible. And they went to the AFC Championship game. They beat a good Colts team. They beat a good Ravens team and held Lamar Jackson and that team to three points. So let's just kind of step back a little bit Take a deep breath and realize the gap isn't that big. There is a gap. They have to try and close it. They have to make some tweaks and things like that. Kansas City, they'll, their team will change. Tampa's team will change a little bit. We don't know exactly what holds here. And then there are teams coming up trying to catch the Buffalo Bills. I'm not sitting here telling you, oh my God, everything's great. The Bills are guaranteed to win a Super Bowl next year or even go to it. Not telling you that at all. But when I read things about how wide everybody thinks this, or so many should say people think this gap is suddenly, I just have to tell you to dial it back a little bit. It's just not true. That's not the way it is. So the Buccaneers win the Super Bowl, and you look over their roster, and there's LaShawn McCoy. Yeah, that's right, Shady. LaShawn McCoy went 10 years of his NFL career from 2009 through 2018, went to the playoffs four times, lost every single time, including once in Buffalo in 2017, 0 for 4. Never won a playoff game. Goes to Kansas City after the Bills release him at the end of the 2019 training camp. Signs with Andy Reid, where he had started his career in Philadelphia with him. 
wins a Super Bowl. He was inactive for the Super Bowl game against the 49ers last year, but he gets a Super Bowl ring. He was on the roster. Then this offseason, he signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, goes to the Super Bowl. He's active, does not play, wins another ring. So McCoy goes from 10 years of being 0-4 in the Super Bowl, I'm sorry, in the playoffs, to suddenly winning back-to-back Super Bowl rings without ever carrying the football in not only those games, but in any playoff game in those two seasons. Pretty remarkable. And by the way, I don't say this to make fun or say, ha-ha, he doesn't deserve anything. Quite the contrary. I just think it's an ama- it's amazing how that unfolded. That's a pretty incredible statistic or you know arc of a career if you think about it. And he deserves that ring and to show it off just like anybody else on a team. That's what being on a team is all about. That's just like a backup quarterback getting a ring. That's just like a practice squad player. And practice squad guys get rings, right? I mean, they, if you are on a team and your team wins, you deserve everything that goes along with anybody else that was on that team. No matter how much of a contribution you may have made in a championship game or series, it doesn't matter. Yeah, there are guys that get the MVP. There are guys that you know have incredible statistics, and you could say, yep, because of him, they did this or that. But man, every single person who's involved with that team getting to that point to win deserves the accolades, including LaShawn McCoy. So when I say that, and when I tweeted it out, I tweeted this stat out, some people thought I was kind of banging on LaShawn McCoy. Not at all. All I'm telling you is it's kind of a cool you know, like way to look at his career. I don't think it matters for his Hall of Fame discussion, and it is going to be an interesting Hall of Fame discussion. He probably falls short at least for a while, and then we'll see where it goes. But I don't think, you know, the rings put him over the top because he didn't have, you know, he didn't contribute necessarily in those games. You're not going to be thinking of him as a two-time Super Bowl winner. But he has two rings now, which is great. So good for Shady. Now we look towards 2021. And the Buccaneers, here's who's on their 2021 home schedule. Because remember, they're going to open up the season next year on Thursday night. That's what happens with the Super Bowl winner. You always play that Thursday night home opener. The Bills are on their schedule next year. Are the Bills going to get that game? Well, let's see. What are the other choices? Dolphins and possibly the Colts. Now, we know the NFL is going to go to a 17th game. It's not official yet, but it's going to happen next year. And we know exactly who the opponents are. The Bills' opponent's going to be Washington, by the way. Washington football. Um, The Buccaneers' opponent will be the Colts. We just don't know where those games are played yet. So it could be the Colts. But let's just say... It is or it isn't. It doesn't matter, I guess. Bills are on the schedule at the Bucks next year. Dolphins from the AFC. And then they have, from the NFC, their own division, Saints, Panthers, Falcons. But then they also have the Cowboys, the Giants, and the Bears. So who's going to be the 2021 opener? I think most people would think it's either the Saints, especially if Breeze comes back, or the Cowboys because of conventional wisdom being television. But I'm going to tell you this. I don't think you need to put the Cowboys on TV in that game to draw ratings. It's going to draw ratings either. Anyway, that game is a ratings bonanza. People watch it. It doesn't matter if it's the Dallas Cowboys or the Atlanta Falcons or the Chicago Bears or the Buffalo Bills. Whoever the Buccaneers play, people are watching that game. You don't need to put the Cowboys on there if you're the league. And by the way, the league also has a Sunday night game and two Monday night games that opening weekend. They could put the Cowboys on any of them if they really wanted to. I'm not saying it won't be the Cowboys. I could understand and see if the league does it and why, especially if Dak is back with the Cowboys. I just don't think it's going to happen simply because of TV ratings. And by the way, 
since this format started in 2002, there's been 19 of these home openers played on the Thursday night. The Cowboys have only played in one of them. And that game was actually rescheduled from Thursday to Wednesday in 2012 because of, I don't think, I don't remember if it was the Republican or the Democratic National Convention, but either way, one of them it, it rescheduled, so they played it on a different night. The Cowboys have only played one out of the 19. I do think the Saints are a very interesting option. I don't think Drew Brees is coming back. It looks like he's going to retire. Um, but with or without Brees, it's still the Saints. We'll see. What if the Panthers were to land Deshaun Watson? Then it becomes really interesting to see if they're the team. I could see Falcons at Buccaneers. Why not? I mean, you know, it's not just about TV. Like I said, the NFL is going to want, you know, a matchup that might mean something to the teams, a division race, something like that. I think typically you get, you, you have had crossover AFC, NFC teams. Typically you get, you know, a team in your conference though. We'll see. I mean, even the Dolphins with the season they had. But I do think the Bills are very much a possible candidate here. I mean, they are a candidate. They're one of eight, maybe one of nine. But I think it's possible the Bills could be that 2021 opener for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll see. All right, speaking of the Bills, time to get into the state of the Bills offensive line, which is the main theme of this podcast, if you will. I wrote about it at WGR550.com, and I'm going to say this statement just like I did at the top of that article. Here's the statement. Sounds kind of crazy when I say it, but it's true. Heading into the 2021 offseason, there is only one actual offensive line starting spot secured and known for the Buffalo Bills. Deion Dawkins at left tackle. Now, let me explain, because some of you may be going, uh, what are you talking about? Mitch Morse? Yep. And uh, yeah, they could just bring John Feliciano back. Well, that's the point. See, the Bills have 11 offensive linemen right now under contract. However, only six of them actually are still under contract after March 17th, when the new league year begins. Five of them, as of right now, will be free agents. And out of those five, three started at the end of the year. So you could lose all three. We're talking about Daryl Williams, John Feliciano, and Ike Butker. So you only have Deion Dawkins and Mitch Morse from the starting five who are actually still under contract this offseason as of right now. And Mitch Morse, that's something we need to talk about. The reason why I say Dawkins is the only one that's actually, you know, secured and known starting at left tackle is because the team is going to have to make some decisions and think about what they want to do with Mitch Morse. And if they want to keep him on at his salary, uh, they want to move on from him, uh, maybe could do something else with his contract, whatever. But here's why. Moore still has two years remaining on a $44.5 million contract that he signed prior to last year. But the team can save over $4.8 million by releasing him before June 1st and close to $8 million they can save if they release him after June 1st. I mean, you could release him before June 1st and designate him a June 1 cut. That's what teams do. They could then save $8 million. But there, of course, are financial ramifications. If they do it before June 1st, they're going to save $4.8 million. But they'd also take on a $5.5 million dead cap hit this year. Is that worth it? Not really sure. Now, after June 1st, it would save $8 million by releasing Mitch Morse, but they would take, and they would take only a $2.75 million cap hit this year, but then they'd also take another one the following year. You'd basically just be dividing up the cap hit between the, these two years, but you'd get all that savings in one year. Now, you may be thinking right now, why would they do that? Uh, Mitch Morse is a really good player. 
Um, you know, it's not worth it to do something like that. Uh, he's their the best center they have. Well, I'm not sure the Bills necessarily think that. Let's remember. Let's go back to when Mitch had his concussion. Middle of the season, a little after that. He misses a game. He comes back. He's healthy enough to play. The Bills decide, no, no. They're going to go with John Feliciano at center. Mitch Morris was a healthy scratch against the Arizona Cardinals. Healthy scratch means he suited up. He didn't play. He was essentially benched. He was a reserve offensive lineman. Now, many of you may have thought then or even may still think, okay, well, he was coming off the concussion, so that's why they did that. No, 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 no. It would have been easy, really easy, for Sean McDermott to be able to say that and tell everybody, yeah, we wanted to make sure, give him another week. He didn't. He made it clear. This was a football decision that they made. They decided to go with John Feliciano. This had nothing to do with health or concussions. The thing is, Morse has had multiple concussions concussions in his career. Two already with the Bills. One kept him out of all preseason in 2019, and then the one he had this past year. And to me, I think moving Feliciano to center for that one game even was kind of a really interesting tell maybe that the team feels that they're better off long-term with Feliciano at center, and maybe they want to re-sign him and play him there, and then move on from Morse. Also, I mean, you do have to take into account the concussion history here with Mitch Morse. There's financials involved, there's concussion history involved, and then there's just the team, and do they actually feel better about maybe having John Feliciano at center going forward? I think it's a discussion that has to be had, and I wouldn't be totally shocked if that's the way it ultimately plays out. Now, we know Dawkins is entrenched at left tackle. He just signed a contract extension, four years, $58.3 million extension. That kicks in next year. I think a really big piece of the puzzle, though, the X factor, if you will, on the offensive line is Cody Ford. The Bills have to determine two things with Cody Ford. First, is he really one of the best five linemen they have? Because I don't think that's been clear. So far through two years. I don't think that's really been crystallized that he is one of the five best. Um, I, I believe it was Brandon Bean who said that they believe he is when, during, at the offseason, you know, uh, end of year Zoom call. But I haven't really been convinced of that myself. Secondly, the other thing they have to determine about Ford, where's his best fit? He played mostly right tackle his entire rookie season. Then he w- was moved inside to guard this past year. He played on the right. He played on the left. I thought that was his best spot, where he fit the best. But then he had a knee injury in late October, in late November, excuse me, and it forced him to miss the remainder of the season. So the Bills have to decide a couple of things about Ford. And however they decide is going to have a really big domino effect on what they're going to do on the offensive line. Is he one of the best five? Where does he play? I think they would determine he is one of the best five, and I don't think the injury is going to play into this, by the way. He should be good to go. But then they have to determine really where his best fit is. I think three years into his career, they shouldn't be moving him around anymore. I don't think they want to do that. Although position flexibility is great, you want to have the ability to play those spots. Keep doing it with the guy I, I don't think is in the best interest of him or the team. Now, speaking of position flexibility, the Bills really, really like Ryan Bates. He is versatile. He's able to play basically all five positions up front, although he's mainly considered a tackle and a center. He played Every single game this past year, believe it or not, you might not realize that, sometimes he filled in a tackle and sometimes just a single snap as an offensive lineman. 
And he did play on um, extra point and field goal teams as well. Uh, when he came in as the extra offensive lineman, it was mainly near the goal line. And there were a few times where they actually called plays, it looked like, for him to catch the ball. They were never there for a touchdown. But they really like the guy. He's under contract uh, next year and it's for less than a million dollars. This is a great situation to have. I wouldn't even be surprised if Ryan Bates maybe becomes the starting right tackle because he was the backup left tackle in right tackle, but he was the backup left tackle mainly uh, this year for Deion Dawkins. And if Daryl Williams walks in free agency, I'll get to him in a minute. You know, that could be the guy that winds up sliding into that spot. So uh, let's talk about Jordan Devy, a guy who spent the entire season on the practice squad, but then the Bills right after the season signed him to the 53-man active roster, which basically, because they had a spot open. Remember, Zach Moss won an IR. They had to put they had to, an open spot. That was the guy they used it on. And I think also this is another guy that offers you position flexibility, especially on the interior. So is this another sign about Morse? I mean, you know, this, again, I just think there's a lot of things they're saying. Maybe Mitch Morse doesn't come back with this team. So we'll see. Uh, Devy's a versatile player, like I said, mostly guard and center. And for them to sign him right after the, uh, after the season, he's been in the league eight years. He's a veteran. That might be another tell that, okay, we want to be ready here in case we move on from Mitch Morse. Uh, Trey Adams, he's a player that the Bills uh, brought as an undrafted free agent. He was highly touted out of the University of Washington. Uh, he was supposed to be an early-round draft pick before injuries hurt his college career. He spent most of this season on the Bills' practice squad. He's going to have a chance, in fact, all of it, actually, all the season on the practice squad. Uh, he was elevated for a game, I believe. He'll have a chance to compete for a spot next summer. Uh, he They signed him to a future reserve deal. All right, so those are all the guys under contract. Let me remind you of the names that are under contract uh, right now and even after the new league year starts. Mitch Morse, Deion Dawkins, Cody Ford, Ryan Bates, Jordan Devy, and Trey Adams. Now let's talk about the guys who are the pending free agents. There are five of them. Four will be unrestricted starting March 17th at 4 p.m. They can sign with anyone. Daryl Williams and Feliciano considered two of the Bills' top three pending free agents overall, along with Matt Milano. Williams had a very good season at right tackle after he signed a one-year contract with the Bills, came over from the Carolina Panthers, earned all-pro honors in 2017 a few years ago, injuries set him back, familiarity with Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, that helped land him in Buffalo, one-year deal, $2.5 million against the salary cap, not all that much for a starting right tackle at all. Now, it's hard to see, though, any way the Bills can keep him for that type of price this offseason. He did earn himself a much higher payday, especially when he was on national TV against uh, T.J. Watt and didn't need any help and did a great job on him in that game the Bills beat the Steelers. The question is going to be how much of a payday and if it ultimately falls out of the range the Bills are willing to go. And like I said, they might have options anyway with a guy like Ryan Bates, depending on how much they really like him. That could be a risk. So we'll see where that goes with Darrell Williams, but we also have to see where it goes with John Feliciano. I mean, there's no doubt and I think you'd all agree, the O-line got better once Feliciano came back into the lineup. He missed seven games after tearing a pack during an off-season workout right before training camp. Comes in, there's a different attitude amongst the unit. In his first game back, he actually had to go right over to center that game because that's when Morse got hurt on the very first drive uh, against the Patriots, I believe that was. In that game, the Bills rushed for 190 yards. 
24-21. That it was it was the Patriots. 24-21. That's the game they beat New England. He was also the player they used in place of Morse, like I said, when he didn't dress against Arizona, which means maybe, again, going back to what I said earlier, this is his going to be his spot going forward center. So you got Williams at right tackle, Feliciano at right guard, but maybe Feliciano at center, but they're both going to be undrafted free agents. I, I think Feliciano, we all know he's very valuable to the team, but I think the team feels that, his teammates feel that, he's an excellent teammate. And I think that the Bills really want him back. And I think that he would really love to come back to Buffalo. He has a great rapport and relationship with Josh Allen. Uh, we'll see. Sometimes these things don't have to get too complicated. Uh, sometimes guys just say, hey, I, I really want to stay here. Make me a really good offer. I don't want to leave. They might even want to be willing to take less money, if you will. I'm not sure that's the case with Feliciano. Uh, last year, the same thing happened basically with Quentin Spain. He wanted to stay in Buffalo. They got that deal done before he even beca- became a free agent. So I think that, you know, something can get and should get worked out between the two if the Bills really feel that way about Feliciano and he wants to stay. Now, Ike Butker is certainly interesting. He is going to be a restricted free agent. So that means the Bills are going to have a chance to offer him a minimum qualifying offer to retain his rights. We do not know what that number is right now. We probably won't know for a few more weeks, but it's not going to be cheap. Uh, Basically, it's called an RFA tender. It's how much a team has to offer somebody to be able to retain his rights But if you lose them, you get compensation. The Bills, I don't think, are going to really want to offer Ike Butker the minimum of what is going to come in at probably over $2 million to retain his rights as a restricted free agent. I just can't see them paying that much. That's what it's probably going to come in at. I know there's, it almost has to. It was over that last year, and the salary cap is going to go up, and that's where these things are determined. So, um, or I should say, the salary cap is going to go down a little bit, but it's not going to be that much. But that's where these things are determined. So even if it's only like $2 million, to me, that's a lot to try and keep a guy like Ike Butker as a restricted free agent. Now, that said, he deserves a ton of praise for grinding his way and becoming a starter, came in the league as an undrafted free agent by the Bills in 2018. Uh, He was on the practice squad. He was a reserve. He actually got waived, went to Kansas City for a brief moment, came back. He was on the team again this year. And then when Cody Ford went down, he goes in at left guard. And really, I think he kind of stabilized the unit. That that was a really nice, you know, replacement for the Bills. But he's also not irreplaceable. So we'll see what happens with um, Butker. I think what will probably happen with Butker is they don't give him the minimum qualifying offer. They allow him to become an unrestricted free agent, but then they resign him to a lower rate. That's what the team did with Isaiah McKenzie last year. Isaiah McKenzie was a restricted free agent. The Bills said, ah, it's going to be too much to give him the minimum offer to qualify him, so they let him become an unrestricted free agent, and then they resigned him to a lesser deal, and I think that's what you're looking at here with Butker. All right, a couple of guys I don't think are going to be back. Brian Winters. He was a nice veteran to have on the roster, uh, but when he got his shot to play, he was very inconsistent. Plus, with re-signing Devy, along with the other players that also have that position flexibility I talked about, that could be an indication they're just going to let him move on. Uh, however, if they wanted to bring him back as a cheap veteran, I think they'd be able to for competition purposes. The same can basically be said for Ty Inseki, except he's mainly an outside player, not an interior player. He was strictly used as a backup in case of injury this season. He dressed a lot, I think every game basically, but really only played in nine games, even though he was dressed, he never actually saw the field in the other ones. He, in some of those, he only played eight more than eight snaps. Actually, he only played more than eight snaps 
in one game. And that was the finale at the end of the season against the Miami Dolphins when the game, you know, they were resting guys. So again, depth, competition. Uh, there's been some issues with maybe him you know, holding up injury-wise. I just don't see them bringing him back. So he'll probably walk free agency, but you know he's been a nice player to have as a backup guy for the last two years. The Bills will probably just go with, you know looking for a, a younger option, not only with Inseki, but Winters as well. So there you have it, the state of the Bills' offensive line. There's a lot there, and there's a lot of decisions to be made. Again, under contract right now, and as of uh, the new league year, still under contract for next year, I should say. Mitch Morse, Deion Dawkins, Cody Ford, Ryan Bates, Jordan Devy, Trey Adams, free agents, unrestricted as of March 17th at 4 p.m. Daryl Williams, John Feliciano, Brian Winters, and Ty Insecki, restricted at that date and time, Ike Butker. All right, that's it for the Bills. State of the Bills, offensive line. I'll have more for you at WGR550.com. But I got one more thing I want to ask you about and talk to you about. And that is WandaVision. Has anyone been watching WandaVision? Because I started watching it. It's on Disney+. Plus. I really, I'm getting into it now. I really like it. But I feel like I'm missing something. I feel like I should be liking it more. And I'm wondering this question. Is it because... Like, I'm not super-duper into all the Marvel stuff, and I don't know about Wanda or Vision and their story. I didn't see Endgame. I'm sorry. I know. Barstool confession here, basically. I'm telling you right now, I, I never saw Endgame. Do I need to watch that? Will it fill in more blanks for me? I like the show. It's tying things together now after five episodes, but I kind of feel like I'm a little bit lost on the history of Wanda and Vision and how we got here and why all this is happening. So let me know. Do I need to go watch Endgame? Do I need to read up more on Wanda and Vision? Or is this, no, no, no. Is this like kind of normal and I should be okay? I do get it. I think for the most part, I just, I, I feel like there's a lot of nooks and crannies that, you know, are kind of unfilled for me right now that I have to go find and figure out to make it even more worthwhile. But I have liked watching WandaVision. Thanks a lot for tuning in downloading, subscribing, throw a nice comment, if you will, Sal Sports and stuff. I'll be back again tomorrow. We're going to start on the defensive side. I'm going to write an article on the defensive tackles, and then I'll do the podcast that goes with that one as well. Again, thanks a lot. Sal Sports and stuff. Appreciate all of you. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.